What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I've been Garrett at Spirit, been on Twitter, sitting in the guest co-host chair. It's Colin Brister at Colin Brister on Twitter. And today's guest on Talk of Champions is David Brandt at David Brandt AP on Twitter. He covers Mississippi sports for the Associated Press. But that is not why David is on Talk of Champions today. While he usually covers Ole Miss, Mississippi State, a little bit of Southern Miss here and there. David spent his weekend in Augusta covering the Masters. And Tiger Woods won the Masters, his first Masters win in 15 years, 14 years, whatever it is. I think it was 2005. So 14 years. Yep. And David Brandt, my good buddy, but re- resident degenerate on the beat, <laughs> got to be there. So David Brandt, about 20 minutes, we're going to talk about that, as well as the Ole Miss equivalent to Tiger winning the Masters in 2019. You might be surprised by the – choice that both david and i made but we agreed and that's coming up in about 20 minutes but first it's colin brister hey buddy what's going on 
Not much, man. Not much. Like you said, it was it was a fun Masters watch this weekend. It was it was one of the uh, first times I've gotten invested in golf since high school. Not fun to watch was Ole Miss dropping both <laughs> games, both seven inning games on yeah. Sunday of the doubleheader to lose the series to Kentucky. It feels like it's been this way all year, Colin, to where Ole Miss is generating some momentum. You think, oh, they've turned the corner, and then a day like Sunday happens. Ole Miss is not good in doubleheader seven inning games. Uh-uh. Not good. The record is bad. I think they're 0 for their last eight against SEC teams in doubleheader two seven inning games. Not good. No. Um, and and at some point, it's more than just a small sample size. I mean, the record kind of speaks for itself. They got swept at Vanderbilt last year, uh, an inferior team to that Ole Miss team last year, and Kentucky, obviously, an inferior team to Ole Miss this year. And Ole Miss just doesn't. Uh, you know, frankly, show up. They just didn't play well for 14 innings yesterday, really, in any facet of the game. I didn't think they pitched it extremely well, and they sure didn't hit it extremely well. And you look up, and a 2-10 and 10 Kentucky team that rolled in here is leaving 4-11, and 11, and you're kind of back to square one. The RPI took a hit. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But the Rebels are now 4-12 and 12 overall, 0-8 in the SEC, and seven inning doubleheaders since 2011. Ooh. It's not good. And it feels like after watching this team for so long now, they're 25-2, and 9-6 in the SEC. They have no margin for error or very little of it. So nope. if Doug Nikhazy has a bad day, as he's going to have, and it wasn't necessarily a bad day, but it wasn't his best day. It was probably the worst starting performance for Doug mm-hmm. all season. He's been great. But that happens in baseball. Sometimes a guy is just going to have an 0 for 4 with 3Ks or a pitcher is going to have a shortened outing because he gets hit pretty hard. His stuff's not quite what it used to be or he's not able to locate or the mistakes he makes, that opposing team takes advantage and makes him pay for it. The fact that they had to have Doug Nikhazy be perfect damn near every single time he goes out, it's not good. It's it's an untenable situation for them. And yet here they are with the loss to Kentucky – because you knew that Sunday third game of the series was going to be tough with Zach Thompson going, the uncertainty around Ole Miss's starters. I mean, Kentucky set it up because they were trying to get one win. That's what they were trying yep. to do, and then they got two. Yeah, and it's just a situation where you know none of no facet of the game I thought played well. But she, I like you mentioned with the Casey. It's a it's a thing that happens. I mean, Jacob Degrom's given up what twelve earned runs in his last two starts. Yeah, it uh, it's kind of just. He's a true freshman pitching in the SEC. He's going to have a bad outing. Almost lost the game because they didn't they didn't drive in runners when they had runners on base. Um, they lost the game because, frankly, of some questionable managerial decisions to like throwing Tyler Myers in a game that you trail four to nothing. Um, you know, when you have another game to play after that, it, it it's just kind of it just feels like they're trying to fit a square into a what what is it fit a square into a circle hole or, or something of of that's, that. That's close enough. I'll let you have that. Yeah, sure, sure. It just kind of feels like continually doing that, and it just not, for whatever reason, getting them where they need to be. Hogland didn't pitch bad. He got oh. really bitten by one bad pitch to TJ Collette, an 0-2 pitch that was a hanger, and he got banged. Yeah. And that three-run yeah. home run doomed him. But we've seen it time and again this year. Four runs is nothing for Ole Miss to overcome. And yet offensively, Zach Thompson, that's a tough task. But in game one, you behind, fall behind 4 nothing. You expect that offense to battle back, and they just didn't. Maybe it's got something to do with playing Chase Cockrell in right field, Tim Elko in game two. Maybe need to stick Anthony Servideo in right and leave him there, Jacob Adams a second. I don't know what it might be. I understand 
the stubbornness to try to get Chase Cockrell going because if he's hitting, he changes the lineup dramatically. But at some point, he is what he is, and you can't keep playing him. Um, I think that was, for me, the most disappointing thing if you're an Ole Miss fan watching this series on Sunday. The offense, four runs, that's nothing for you. You've done it time and again. Why is it now all of a sudden an issue? And yet, on Sunday, they just couldn't make up any kind of hay. This this left-handed pitching thing is no longer a sample size issue, is it? Sure didn't I, seem I, that way. Yeah, I don't think this team can hit left-handed pitching, and I don't really think it's going to get better. Um, so in saying that, I mean, you've still got to figure out ways to win baseball games with, uh, you know, when your offense isn't going to produce as, as often as it, it usually does against right-handed pitching because they struggle against lefties. And Ole Miss just didn't pitch it well enough in, in either game to really do that. And, you know, Hoglin I thought was really good his first three outings, but it kind of just – bewilders me how you can lose a series to Kentucky and Parker Crazy nor Austin Miller really throw a meaningful pitch. I just don't really understand how that happens or Tyler Myers really for that matter. Yeah, I thought that Austin Miller would be the person to follow up Doug Nikhazy in game two and Tyler Myers was going to start that third game. That's what I expected. It didn't happen. So be it. It's not my decision to make. But now the numbers are what they are. Ole Miss is 25-12, and 9-6 in the SEC. Lost to a bad Kentucky team in a series at home. RPI took a hit. It's getting closer now to the end of the regular season. Now there's still plenty of baseball left to be played. But sure. at what point do you got to slam the panic button? Or not necessarily the panic button, but the, okay, this is what it is button. And accept that this team is what we think it is, and that's not a hosting team. Let me, I, I tell you when I think you can make an accurate kind of representation of where this team is in two weekends. When they go to Auburn and they come home and play Texas A&M, who's going to throw three left-handed pitchers at them? Um, if this team is no better than 12 and – what are they, 9 and 6? This team's no better than 12 and 9 after the first 21. I kind of just – at that point, you kind of just accept that this team's probably a two-seat on the road. Um, if they're 12 and 9, you know, 5 and 4 over the last nine isn't, isn't impossible. So that and that's kind of what gets you to host is a seventeen win mark. But anything less than twelve and nine, or you know three and three in the next six, I kind of think you start taking the you know start thinking of this team differently and thinking of them as a as a two seed somewhere rather than playing in Oxford in June. What's the RPI situation now? Uh, it's twenty five, and that's not good. But in saying that, like the RPI is what it is from the standpoint that Ole Miss has four series left against four top 25 RPIs. So if you win games, it's going to offset that. No, they have five series left against top 25 RPIs. So if you win games, it's going to offset that. So so you if know, you win three out of four series or three out yes. of five series, you're you're probably fine. Uh, yeah, as long as you don't get swept in the other, other two series and win a game. Yeah, it's 17 and 13, and you're probably playing baseball at Oxford in June. So especially with going to the SEC tournament, have some opportunities to do work there. Look, this team's a game back of the SEC West lead. They're a game back of the SEC lead. It's everything's still right in front of them, but it's just kind of the situation where you just don't know from weekend to weekend what you're going to get out of them. It's the way they've gotten to this record. Take two out of three over Arkansas, lose to North Alabama, sweep Florida. (laughs) It's a Jekyll and Hyde team, and that's so cliche sounding. And I feel like I'm speaking way too general about the problems of this team, but I can't help but see it simply as you just don't know what you're going to get out of them. You don't know what they're going to be, what they are. If I asked you right now, hey, man, what's the identity of Ole Miss baseball? 
I yeah. don't know if you could really point that out. No, because the offense is fine, but it's not it's not what it was last year. Um, you know, Will Etheridge has been really, really good, but and you know, Nikhazy's been perfectly fine in a Saturday role. But you're not going to look at this team and say they're dominant on the mound by any stretch of the imagination. So there's not really an identity at this point. And, you know, I wonder, and, and this may be a little, a uh, little out there. Everybody talks about, you know, after last year's failures of Tennessee Tech or whatever, that June is all that matters. Do you think that feeds into the players at all? That that man, it, it doesn't really matter what we do until we get to June. No, you don't think so. I don't think you can have that. Maybe there is a little, we're all human. Right. Okay. So the players are just as human as you and I. So I'm sure there is something to that. We know what the number we need to get to. Oh, this happened. So bid attack the next one and just get to this number. Eventually, however you get there, doesn't matter if you get to here, this is what it will be. And then the real season begins. So is there some of that? Probably. Yeah, I would say so. As a player, however, you can't focus that way at all. You're not looking too long-term. You're looking at the next day. And I think Ole Miss doesn't do well with two games in one day. No. That, that's what I think it comes down to. I think when the weather screwed Ole Miss over, and it screwed Kentucky over too. It's not like I'm making excuses for Ole Miss dropping the series because of the weather. But recent history tells you that Ole Miss is not good with double headers in one day. What happened is that Ole Miss, when that weather went bad and turned on them, kind of doomed them in a way when you saw that Zach Thompson was going to pitch in game three. Three, yeah. A lot of pressure in game two at that point. Obviously, you hope it never comes to that, that you have to win the series against Zach Thompson in game three. But like I mentioned, Kentucky was just trying to get one. And for Doug Nikhazy, yeah, he gave up four runs. Still wasn't particularly bad. I understand then why Mike Bianca went to Tyler Myers because he figures, oh, the offense is going to come back. Tyler Myers is going to hold him to nothing, and Ole Miss is going to win this game 5-4 to four or something like that. And yet the offense never turned around. That's where the issue really came from. Yeah, and, and just to, at this point, this offense kind of really is what it is against left-handed pitching. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's uh, the splits are staggering to say the least. So I figure this team's going to see a lot of left-handed pitching after the performance on Sunday and kind of the performance throughout the year is – it's just kind of not. It's kind of been below uh, below what they've what they probably expected, and really, it's kind of surprising after the numbers they posted last year against left-handed pitching. So you're not chalking this up to just baseball? No, no. This team can't hit left-handed pitching at this point. So now, looking forward and projecting them forward, you had them as a regional host after last weekend. What are you feeling yeah. right now? I still think they host. I, I think I don't think they're going to face a lot of left-handed pitching. Frankly, going forward, Auburn has one. LSU doesn't have any uh, Mississippi State stars a kid that's a left-handed pitcher, but then they were really right-handed dominant after that. So I think this team's got a real chance to to kind of make some hay, and and they're not going to run into because that's the thing people forget. Like yes, they struggle against left-handed pitching. That doesn't mean that every team they're going to face has competent left-handed pitching. So if they don't, then teams can't take advantage of that. And I don't think they're going to face a ton of of great left-handed pitching or even SEC level left-handed pitching. So I think that they're going to still. Kind of, I think there's probably a 16, 17, 18 win team. Uh, I lean more towards 17. So, I, yeah, I think this team is a 14, 15, 16 seed and hosts a regional. And if they win uh, the regional, they'll go on a road for a super. What's the SEC outlook right now? Uh, I mean, I think Mississippi State's probably the best team in the West. They're the most consistent, to be sure. Um, Georgia and Vanderbilt are going to fight over the East. I think they're going to, I think either Georgia or Vanderbilt's going to win the East. And, and win the SEC because the East is so bad. 
they'll get to beat up on those teams. But, uh, you know, if you made me guess today, I think Mississippi State wins the West. I think Vanderbilt wins the SEC. Um, and I think Ole Miss probably finishes somewhere from fourth to sixth. So your issue right now is not necessarily where Ole Miss is positioned so much as you're looking ahead to the postseason and not seeing a team that can advance and get to a Super or to Omaha. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, look, so, kind of like the NCAA basketball tournament, it's so much about matchups. If Ole Miss gets a bunch of right-handed pitchers in here, um, then, yeah, I think this team can win. I don't think – I think this pitching is set up that they can kind of win a regional. I think think the pitching frankly is a little bit more set up to win a regional this year than it was last year because I think they're a little bit better on Sundays than they were last year with James MacArthur with that being said this team's offense is not going to be able to bail it out of a loser's bracket so it's just going to be a matchup thing and, and do you get a bunch of guys that <clears throat> throw their right, right hand and if you get a bunch of guys with, a, with that throw their left hand you're going to have to have some you know some special pitching performances it's just unfortunate because a handful of guys are playing really well, particularly yeah. well, and are not getting the credit that they deserve, like a great Kessinger, who's really hitting the cover off the ball. And yet the attention has moved away from that to where you're not expecting too much out of this team right now based off of previous performance. And it's recency bias, and we all fall victim to it. But I think that if Ole Miss had taken the series, losing one of two on Sunday, whatever. Sure. You take the series, it's different. Today we're talking about Greg Kessinger and his work and other players that are playing well rather than the overall outlook of Ole Miss baseball. Yeah, well, you win the series and you're leading the SEC West at the halfway point. Well, you're leading the SEC at the halfway point. Um, and this team, it it's just not. It's 9-6 and six right now, and it's frankly, it's got their better opponents in front of them. Now, look, I think – I think Ole Miss is, is just as good as Auburn. I think they're just as good as A&M. I think they're, I think they're better than LSU. Um, I think Mississippi State's probably a little bit better than they are. I mean, Ole Miss is probably better than Tennessee. So it's, there's still time to get accomplished what they need to. But this, this, what happened on Sunday has to stop happening. You can't not show up in both facets of the game. Um, and, and to me, Ole Miss really didn't show up in either. Doesn't help, though, that you got Chase Cockrell in the lineup every now and then. He's still not getting any better. I, but, I think ultimately the optimal lineup is like leaving Anthony Servideo in right field and putting Jacob Adams in. It doesn't feel like Jacob Adams is playing very much right now at all. He's not, but I mean, he's not producing when he does. It, it's That's true. Do you, yeah. get, do, do you give Carl Gendel a shot and, and throw him in right field and Anthony at second and, and just let it roll? Because, I mean, you're giving everybody else a shot. Why not him? Or Michael Fitzsimmons can hit against lefties. Yeah. I mean, it, you, it, in, that, in that scenario, Kevin Graham can play, I guess, first base or right field or second base. Or I think he could play second and you could put Fitz at first um, and Zabowski back at DH because I think the Zabowski at first base experiment is, is close to being over after yesterday. Yeah, um, he was not particularly good. And he'd been fine. Last year he yes. was fine. I mean, yeah, he was, he was fine now he has the range of an Azalea bush. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, fielding percentage was fine. Yeah, he makes the error on the pickoff yesterday. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like he's he's kind of negating himself when he plays first base because he's really good offensively. He's been their best hitter in SEC play. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of a, like you said, it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation right you now. You just don't know what you're going to get out of any facet of the game for the most part. If UZR was a measurable statistic <laughs> in college baseball, Tyler Keenan and Cole Zabowski's UZR ultimate zone rating would not be very good. Yeah, everybody tells me that Keenan's a really good third baseman. And I'll give Keenan this. When the ball is hit extremely hard, most times he makes the play. Yeah, that has but nothing not, to do with UZR. No, exactly. He's not getting to any, much of anything to the left or right. Yeah, he has no range. Yeah. 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 He's sure-handed, <laughs> but he can't move. 
I think Kevin Graham is actually a pretty good first baseman. Yeah, I like him. He's fine. He's yeah. hitting. He's hitting enough too to stay in the lineup. Yeah, sure. And you know, Laposter I thought had hit a few balls hard yesterday, so he can play versus left-handed pitching. It's just kind of a situation where you just they're kind of stay. It's crazy that 15 games in the SEC play, you've got seven regulars, and then you're rotating guys everywhere else. They just haven't I, figured it out. I think Anthony Stradio at this point has to play every day. I know he's one for a billion against left-handed pitching. I don't really care. I mean, you're not going to find a better option than him. Yeah, just hit him ninth then. Yeah, yeah, just put him in the nine hole, let him swing, and whatever. They're not going to throw a left-handed pitcher the whole game. Because ultimately, he's got to figure it out. He's your starting shortstop next year. Yes, you're not going to pull him next year. (laughs) You know, I mean, just let the kid play, and, and hopefully he figures it out. But I can assure you he can't do much worse than some of the other options right now. So are you now feeling all kinds of ways about them not being the postseason team i mean where are you right now let's see baseball? they're 25 and 12 right nine and six in the uh, sec nine and six and i think they win 17 sec games i think they have solidified i will say this i think they have figured out some midweek issues i think they may lose one more midweek game so i've got them with 11 ish more wins i'll go 36 wins yeah 36 wins and, and a host team and Look, if you're hosting a regional, you should win it. Now, I know Ole Miss hasn't actually followed through followed through with that the past two times they've hosted regionals. But if they host a regional this year, you would expect them to win it. And I still think it's a team that can can do that. I just don't think the national seed uh, aspect of things is really in play at this point. I think they beat Tennessee Tech last year if the weather cooperates. Yeah, I do too. I mean, because Tennessee Tech would have had to play two games in a day against you i mean they would have played a dogfight against missouri state and then had to come play you and that's a lot different than uh you know if they have a day off because they don't get to you know they, they threw their closer in on the monday and he probably doesn't throw on that sunday because he had thrown 60 pitches friday so yeah i mean they but you know all and on, on the same hand don't lose to tennessee tech twice yeah it feels <laughs> like though just in baseball in general not just college baseball but major league baseball the team that gets game one in the doubleheader just goes on yeah. and wins game two. It, it Man, it does feel like that, which is – it doesn't make much sense just kind of on the periphery, but it, for whatever reason, that does seem to be the case. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. David Brand of the Associated Press coming up in just a minute. He spent the weekend at the Masters, and he'll join us on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern woodman representative. If you need help financially, contact Thomas today. He'll help you with retirement savings, getting your financials in order. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. So what does Modern Woodman do? How about financial security for you and your family through life insurance, retirement planning, financial services? How about quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities? Community impact through local volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. If your finances are bogging you down as they were for me, contact Thomas today. He's a personal friend. He's the one to talk to, 662-296-0186, 662-296-0186. To learn more, go to www.modernwoodman.org. That's www.modernwoodman.org. Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. I hate the car buying process. Cannot stand it. It overwhelms me. It's easy for a salesman to get one over on me. Hey, uh, this is a good deal for you. Okay, cool, thanks. I'm not good at haggling. And that's why Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is the only place for me to go. And first of all, anybody that's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows I do not vouch for sponsors I truly don't believe in. 
But the car buying process with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is second to none, believe me. If you're like me, you're simply just looking to get the best deal. And if that's the case, to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates them is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. It's probably not going to help all that much, but it'll be cool for me. And they'll probably want to talk about spring football or basketball recruiting or the Ole Miss baseball season. But more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible, that you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them today at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels. Let's be friends. Going now to the Chinese Pharmacy phone line to speak to David Brand of the Associated Press. David usually covers Ole Miss and Mississippi State sports for the AP in Mississippi. But he spent his weekend in Augusta covering the Masters. And what happened in Augusta over the weekend? Oh, I don't know. Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of all time, won the Masters for the first time in 14, 15 years. And David was there. Was it as special, David, in person as it was on television? I mean, it was incredible. Uh, you know, anytime covering the Masters, even on an average year, would have been a lot of fun. Um, you know, the obviously the course is amazing. Um, you know, just getting to do something like that was great. But then, uh, obviously, Tiger wins and, and the comeback story, and it turns into one of the uh, really probably an all-time classic major. You know, it wasn't just Tiger winning the – you know, that last day, the leaderboard was incredible. Through, through the back nine, there was – eight or nine guys who really kind of had a chance to win there with about five or six holes left. And, and really you don't see that very often. So uh, just a lot of drama, uh, obviously with Tiger winning at the end, it, it kind of makes it even more, uh, you know, just special to cover that kind of history. So uh, yeah, it was, it was everything I could have hoped for. When the leaderboard changed out there at Augusta, when Tiger Woods got moved up to number one, it sounded insanely loud and a different pop because nobody moves the needle like Tiger Woods in golf. What was it like in person? Oh, it was incredible. I, I actually, I was not out there on 15, but I was out there on 16, 17, and 18, you know, when he was, he was coming in. And, and really the coolest thing about that was, I don't know if you know this about it, but at Augusta, you cannot have cell phones. And so fans do not have cell phones. The media cannot have cell phones either. So no one really knows what is happening when you're actually out on the course, you know, because of that fact, you know, you've probably seen that, that big scoreboard on 18 right by the green. And it's, it's one of those hand operated ones, like you've got it at Fenway park or, or Wrigley field or something like that, where somebody's actually putting the number on it and then flipping the number over. And so no one knew what had happened at 17, so everybody's waiting like on the 18th grade was like Brooks Kepka and like Webb Simpson and those guys, but Tiger that had just finished 17 and were about to tee off on 18. So, you know, Molinari's number flips over, Finau's number flips over and everybody is just sitting there. It feels like 1955 or something waiting for this number to flip and then it flips and it's still a 14. And there was just this huge roar. It was, it was really fun. And then of course, you know, when he won, obviously another huge roar, but it just, you know, it just kind of the throwback nature of the masters uh, with the, with the no cell phones and everything. It was just uh, an experience that's almost impossible to have in 2019. Back when Tiger was winning his 14 major championships, 
he was beating a field that wasn't as loaded as it is now, and it's with a bunch of different golfers that were influenced and got into golf because of Tiger Woods. Tony Finau, the story is well known at this point, he got into golf because of Tiger Woods, and he's in the final grouping with him on Master Sunday. It's a pretty special thing, but I think it also makes it special for the way in Tiger in which he won because he beat a field that was pretty loaded. Dustin Johnson charged on Master Sunday. Brooks Kepka had a putt at 18 that could have really put the pressure on Tiger at 18. Tony Finau didn't have a great Sunday, but Francisco Molinari went into the day with a two-stroke lead and held it through the front nine. Everything changed at 12. But I think the most impressive thing for me as far as taking away how Tiger got this done, it was that he outlasted a field, and it was because of his experience there. And you're starting to see Tiger be able to play that brand of golf that he hasn't been able to play in years because of the back and all those things like that. So I, I thought that beating that field was the most impressive thing to me. Yeah, it was it was an incredible feat because if you if you look at it, it wasn't like one of those situations where Tiger just played okay and everybody else f- fell apart. You know, obviously Molinari went to the water a couple times on the back nine, but there were a lot of guys playing really good golf down the stretch. You know, you mentioned Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka was playing pretty well. Xander Shoffley was in the mix. You know, there was even Patrick Cantlay was even leading for a little while and everything. I mean, it was, it was a wild like hour to hour and a half there. So for Tiger really to go out there and take that victory, you know, it wasn't just handed to him. Like you said, it was kind of a cool quote too, from Tony Finau um, the day before on Saturday, they, they kind of asked about the, the mystique of Tiger Woods and if it was still there. And he said, well, yeah, you know, Tiger's Tiger, but, because all of us grew up idolizing him and learning from him and wanting to be like him, part of what made Tiger so amazing was his fearlessness and that he didn't, you know, back down to anybody on the course and, and could dominate. So all these guys he had influenced to act like him and play golf like him, that's, that's come to pass now. And so all these guys are really confident. Um, and, and Tiger had to go out and really take one from them. This one was not handed to him at all. I think I really started to feel it, not at 12, which was undoubtedly the turning point, but at 18 when Brooks Kepka missed that birdie putt. He'd been automatic all weekend, I think six feet and in, and yet he misses that one. And when Tiger only needs to get a bogey and doesn't have to go driver off of 18 and can stick to his three-wood and play it safe, you knew, and yet you don't know, but you knew it, it was going to happen there's still that seed of doubt to see it happen that way though was pretty special. And then for him to embrace his son immediately calls back to 1997, the embrace with his dad, it was an incredible moment of television as was the fist pump after he made the putt at 18, but in person, was it different? Was it even more special? What was it like to be out there and see it in person? Well, it was cool, you know, and, and honestly, I did, didn't see it in person because at, at, at a lot of sporting events, obviously the media has, you know, uh, priority seating. Um, at the Masters, you're left to fight with the crowd just like anybody else. And so I was like 47 people back on that hill up behind 18, and you couldn't really see anything. But you know what was cool is afterwards I went around, and uh, you know some of the veteran AP guys who I was there with are, are really good reporters. They know a lot of people. They have some gravitas. We were we were down really close, and I was actually talking to the PGA tour commissioner, uh, Jay Monahan. And right then was when Tiger kind of came down into the and started hugging like all the other masters winners, you know, like Bubba Watson and, and some of those other guys. And, and, you know, he 
just, you know, he was fist pumping. And, and I mean, you could see the emotion. It was really raw. Like it was, and everybody was pumped for him. I mean, you could tell that, you know, A, I think people were just genuinely pretty happy for him given everything he's gone through. But I also think that, you know, they knew something special had happened. And, and a good Tiger, when Tiger is good at golf, that, that raises all the boats. You know what I mean? It's, it, everybody's getting paid when that happens. Tiger the most. But I, I think it helps the sport. And I think, you know, there was real genuine kind of joy for a lot of people that that had happened. Yeah, Ricky Fowler looked like he was on the verge of yeah, tears, yeah, if not already there. there too. Yeah, yeah, him and, and Matt Kuchar was there and really excited about it. Like, I mean, there was, you know, like I said, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't for the cameras. Like, these were guys that were, were truly excited for Tiger. Did the atmosphere on the course in the media room change when Francisco Molinari went into the water at 12? Oh, there's no question. I, I mean, because up to that point, Molinari had just been rock solid. You know, he was just a absolute par machine. And it just, it didn't look like he was going to falter. And obviously on the back nine is where a lot of guys can score. Um, and, and so you thought Molinar was probably going to make a few birdies and, and make it really tough. And so, you know, 12 was really a turning point, not just for him, but remember Molinari went in the water, Poulter went in the water, Finau went into the water. Four of the last six golfers went into the water. And so Tiger was one of the two that, that found the green and was able to part of that hole and, and, you know, just stay out of trouble. So, yeah, you know, one thing that's cool about the Masters, it's kind of like the Olympics. It's a very uh, – the, the press corps is very international. There was a lot of Italian journalists, a lot of Spanish journalists for people like John Rahm and stuff like that, Chinese journalists. You know, it, it's, there's more Americans than anything else. But it's a very, it's a very diverse – you know, room and everything. And so, you know, when that back nine was going on and everybody's burning and boging and falling back and the leaderboards changing, you kind of heard all these like different parts of the, the media room, not cheering exactly, but just reacting, you know what I mean? Just to the, the different types of things. And so um, it was fascinating, but, but definitely 12 was where the mood changed. Cause it felt like Molinari was just going to kind of suffocate the tournament and kind of grind away to the win. But it, at that point, everything changed. Because we'd seen this before with Molinari and Tiger at the U.S. Championship. Tiger's within striking distance, but Molinari, the machine, finishes it out in the final grouping and beats him to claim the championship. Did Molinari, after you after the Masters is done, when y'all are talking to him, in any way acknowledge maybe pressure of the moment, Sunday, Tiger, anything like that? You know, I, I think there's there's always a little pressure, but there, you know, he was so steady for so long. Honestly, what he said, and I believe him honestly, I just think he made some bad shots. You know, on on twelve, that was a difficult one. You know, the storms were kind of starting to to get closer, and the wind was just really, you know, how it is right before you know an hour or two before storms. It's just kind of gusty, swirling, and and the guys weren't reading it very well. He tried to hit an eight iron. And he just didn't hit it that well. And, and it fell short and rolled back into the water. Um, you know, and then on 15, he, he made a couple bad shots, but just got a little unlucky that it hit that tree. You know, obviously he didn't think that was going to happen. So I don't know if it was nerves as much as, you know, sometimes people say that's baseball. I mean, sometimes that's golf too. You get lucky, you get unlucky. I, I think it was just, it was just Tiger's day and, and Molinari had a couple, couple shots he'd like to have back. Never before had Tiger Woods won a championship when he was behind at hole 54. Is this the biggest story of the year in sports? I don't think anything can really top this. Like 2019, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I what think can it was top this? One of the more, 
Well, I mean, you could say, you know, Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl, but that wasn't nearly as compelling no. as television. I mean, you know, this was incredible. Yeah, golf, it's a great sport, but it's not often because of what happened with the tee times being moved up, groups of three, it created a type of chaos out there that it was really gripping and never before, you know, obviously I was really emotionally invested just because I was covering it and it was exciting, but I think it was that exciting for just about every golf fan. I mean, it was, it was truly kind of a one of a kind, you know, talking to the commissioner Jay afterwards, he was talking about like, this is, was incredible. He's like this, you know, cause they move up the tee times. They think, you know, ratings aren't going to be as good because it's in the morning, but you know, people were absolutely fascinated by the end of that. That ended up being a jackpot for CBS and for the PGA tour. So, um, yeah, it, it just, you know, it ended up being a really special Sunday. It's widely accepted that 1986 is the greatest Masters of all time, but where does this one rank now? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not uh, necessarily, I mean, obviously I know about the 86 Masters, but I would not be considered a, a golf history expert. But I, I really do think in 20 or 30 years, you know, long after I have even less hair and, and you have a different brand of flip-flops, <laughs> um, that, that we're going to be talking about this one. There's going to be, you know, 30 for 30s on it. There's going to be, you know, because uh, it wasn't just Tiger was obviously a huge deal, but just the way he won it and the chaos of the last day, um, it was it was incredible. Um, so I, I think this this ranks right up there with some of the best. He finished 13 under. He wins the Masters. But for David Brandt, covering his first Masters ever, and hell of a one for you to pick, David, What's going to be your lasting memory? It doesn't necessarily have to be Tiger. It will be. But what was the most special moment for you being out at Augusta on Sunday as Tiger Woods is winning the Masters? I mean, you know that story I told you about the, the scoreboard flipping and just the roars and just the energy. I mean, you know, even in the press room afterwards, you know, I, I know – you know, no one was, was cheering or anything like that. Oh, was, yes, that they were. Yes, they were. I mean, there was there – was, no, there really wasn't. The thing was, what there was, was there was an energy that, like, everybody knew they had covered one of the great sporting events of all time. You know what I mean? Like, when you cover something really cool, like when, when Ole Miss beat Alabama and they're tearing down the goalposts at Katy Perry is stage diving and stuff like that. Like, that's really cool. Like, I mean, you know, just as far as, you know, the energy, it, it, you know you're writing something that, like, people are going to look at 20, 30 years from now and say, hey, yeah, you remember that? And, you know, there's going to be, you know, oral histories about it, and, you know, written history. It's just, I, I love it when that stuff happens because they don't happen very often. And the longer you, you're kind of in this business and you do it, you really appreciate those big moments. And, and that was certainly one of them. Did you ask Tiger anything specifically? I watched the whole press conference. I didn't hear David Brent. No, I didn't. I was not on the last day. I watched Tiger come in and I did some things about the chaos, but our other guys were talking to Tiger. I had, I talked to Francesco Molinari for several minutes and, and to his credit, he was very gracious. Uh, he was great actually considering I, I'm sure it was tough for him, but, uh, that was, that was who I was talking to. What did Molinari say just in regards to the overall weekend for him and the gravity of the moment? You know, he was just, I, he was disappointed. Obviously, like I said, he talked about wishing he had those shots back, but he, you know, he said it was just, kind of another step in the process for him. I don't, he didn't seem, you know, sometimes you see guys who have those, you know, a little bit of a collapse down the stretch and they look, 
you know, just defeated, have a look on their face of what just happened. But really, Molinari didn't have that. He was disappointed, um, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wins another major or two in the next year or two. I, I just don't. It was just Tiger's day. And so um, I, I think he, he kind of had knew that and accepted that to some degree. Wasn't happy about it necessarily, but no one would be. But, you know, I, I think he understands he's going to be in the mix for the next few years at least. And I, I think he's going to be okay. You hit the nail on the head in regards to the Ole Miss equivalent to Tiger's, Tiger winning the Masters in 2019. It's not the Sugar Bowl. Going to the Sugar Bowl is a huge historical accomplishment for Ole Miss. But that moment is Alabama in 2014 with Katy Perry in game day and rushing the field. And I was in the corner of the end zone when Jalen Walton caught the pass. So that, for me, is the equivalent of that. I think you hit the nail on the head. That was the historical equivalent to Tiger winning the 2019 Masters if you're talking about Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, that that day was just – because you remember it was like a perfect day. It was like 72 degrees, bright sunshine. The Grove was ridiculous. Katy Perry's throwing corn dogs around or something like that. I mean, you know, the whole the whole scene was incredible. And then, you know, usually I think the cynical Ole Miss fan would be like, you have that incredible atmosphere, and then it seems Ole Miss sometimes falls on their face. But they didn't. They played really well. And, then, you know, for me it was when Sinkaz Golson – had that interception and I remember looking up at the TV and and then seeing, I was like, his foot's down. That's an interception. You know, this game's over. They won, you know, and, and it was just kind of, you know, again, that's not a rooting interest necessarily. It's rooting for great stories. And that was certainly a great story. That whole day for Mississippi showed what this state football wise can be when the two schools aren't eating themselves because Ole Miss and Mississippi state football had never been more relevant. Oh, yeah, that was a huge day. Mississippi State played Texas A&M that day, I think it was. Yeah, and it was you know, Ole Miss was finished. Just, yeah, Ole Miss was fourth after that day, and State was number one overall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was the week all that happened. Yeah, those were, I mean, it, in some ways it seems like yesterday. In some ways it seems like that's an eternity. But, uh, you know, it, it was just a really incredible time to be in Mississippi. And, and it, like you said, I think it showed that, when things are rolling right, this can be kind of the epicenter of college football. Is Tiger Woods going to win another one? Not necessarily a Masters, but you saw Tiger play really good golf, smart golf, plotted along, attacked the fives. You think Tiger can get another one now? Can he challenge Jack? Yeah, I think I don't see why not at this point. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Lord willing, he stays healthy. I mean, that's that's the, the one thing. He's 43. Jack Nicklaus won one at 46. Um Sure sounds like to me he could do it. You know what I mean? So um, we'll, we'll see how those, you know, again, you know, health is always the, the biggest biggest part of it for somebody getting into their, you know, mid-40s. But he hits the ball really well. He's still got his short game and putting game. Like you said, he's making good decisions. Um, yes, I, I, I really will actually be very surprised if he does not win another one. When he piped his driver on 16 or 17, I can't remember which one. I think it was 17. It was he, 17. Yeah. I remember that. And I was like, he's locked in. He's winning this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was just like, yeah, this is this is happening. And, and I don't, you know, Kepka's putt was important. But I think even with that, Tiger would have still figured out a way to win. He pipes that. My family, Emily and the girls, were walking in from church as this is happening. He pipes this driver down 17, and he starts walking towards it. And I'm losing my mind. And Gracie comes in, my seven-year-old, and she just loves to celebrate with her dad at all. When she sees me get super excited, like when the Braves walk off of 
walk off somebody to win or whatever it might be. So she's just jumping up and down. And she goes, oh, daddy, daddy, wait, Tiger's real? Because I have a bobblehead in my office of Tiger Woods from the 2000, 2001 Masters win. And she was sitting there going, wait, Tiger's a real person? Yes, baby, he's right there. And I had like some tears in my eyes because I was so excited. And Emily goes, wait, are you getting emotional right now? I'm like, I don't understand. You don't get it. You don't know. You don't know. That, that's Tiger Woods with golf. But, that's just who he is. I mean, that it's a good point that it kind of, you know, Tiger, I think, you know, people have short memories for kids who are even like 15 or 16 years old. They've never really seen Tiger win a major, you know, right. young golf yeah. kids in high school. Like now they're, they get a little bit of, you know, they can understand at least a little the legend of Tiger and why he is Tiger Woods. And I think, you know, it just, it, it makes, now it's not just, you know, our generation guys in their thirties and stuff like that, that really, you know, kind of idolized Tiger growing up. It's people, you know, if they're, if they're 12 years old right now, now kind of understand what, what it's about. Sunday was a great day for me. Tiger won the masters, the Braves beat DeGrom and then game of Thrones returned. That's about as good a day as I can get. That's a pretty good day. I, I did watch a little bit of that Braves game, but I had a really good dinner at Augusta. So it was, the town was hilarious afterwards. People were in the mood to party afterwards. It was fun. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Did you get you a good drink or two? I, I, I've been known to do that. They had a good old-fashioned at this place, so I had a few of those. Oh, a lot of dads buying some mock red turtlenecks on Sunday. That's definitely what happened. Oh, well, there, was, there was a lot of – there was some dude at this, at this restaurant I was at. He was doing, like, karaoke not really karaoke he was singing a, you know, with an acoustic guitar and i can't repeat all the lyrics because there were some curse words but oh my gosh he was just he was singing this made-up tiger woods song and oh my it, it was hilarious i mean it was it was great where does that rank as far as the things you've covered in your lifetime it's got to be up there for you yeah it's you know the only thing i can really compare the alabama all this game was really big and then i covered the nfc championship game safe vikings and, uh, you know, that I, I would put, I'd still maybe put Saints Vikings number one, but Tigers probably number two. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I told you I hated you on Twitter when you announced that you're going to cover the Masters. My hatred that's for true, you. That's true, but you tell me you hate me in person sometimes, too. So it's true. I, I didn't take it that's, that's just our friendship. But my resentment and jealousy of you only grew exponential. I don't think it's describable how angry I was. Like when Tiger won, I swear to God, I am not making this up. This is the God's honest truth. I looked over at Emily and went, David Brand is at this place right now. That bastard is at the Masters right now. Right. And I've told a few people about this and, and you included. You know, I, I I am really appreciative. I like golf and I've played it enough to know that it's really, really hard and I'm terrible at it. But I'm not necessarily you know, a golf guy, as far as my like knowledge of sports, you know, I'd very much be more with baseball, basketball, football and everything like that. So part of me almost felt a little guilty, you know, that like I got that opportunity because it's just, you know, it, it you know, I, I feel like somebody like you should sit there, but I'll take it. It was amazing. What's next? Are you going to cover what Ole Miss spring football post-mortem or Mississippi State spring football? What, what's next for you? You can't really top that. So I was about to say, I, I already did the Ole Miss spring football story. I've, I've got a Mississippi State spring football kind of story coming out about, uh, you know, just where they're at. And then, you know, it's this is my uh, slightly slower time of the year to where I could take a little vacation, uh, stuff like that. Keep it, You know, I do some college baseball stuff and everything, but it, it – slows down for a few months and then of course it's sec media days and we're back at it before you know it 
What's your general synopsis of Ole Miss spring football then? Um, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. I think that he, you know, Matt Luke has done a good job of filling that coaching staff with, with smart people. Uh, Rich Rodgers, I think it's just really intriguing right now what they can do. But, you know, we all knew this year was coming with the, with the NCAA sanctions, um, that, the, that the roster would be a, a little underwhelming, especially in spots. Obviously, that defense needs a complete overhaul. You wonder what Matt Corral could do. Um, you know, I, I think that it was fairly encouraging. It certainly, I think they're pointed in the right direction. They got some good people on the coaching staff. You just wonder if, if this is going to be a situation where there's a lot of growing pains or maybe it's a little easier to get back on track than we think. I've asked pretty much every guest I've had on for the last three weeks the exact same question I'll ask you, especially those who've seen some spring football practices. Over, under, wins for 2019 for Ole Miss football. I'm setting the line at five and a half. You're taking the over, under, where are you going? You took it from me. I was going to say five and a half if you told me to set the over, under. I'll go over. I think they could go six and six. Got to win the first two then, don't you? Got to beat Memphis. Yeah. Yeah, you got to. I mean, you know, you're going six and six. I think Memphis is what you got to have there. But uh, you know, I, I think the coaching staff helps. I, I, I think the roster certainly is light on talented spots, but I don't think it's like just completely destitute everywhere. So uh, I think six wins. I think they'll find a way to do that. He's David Brandt at David Brandt AP on Twitter. AP sports reporter in Mississippi spent his weekend in Augusta watching Tiger Woods win the Masters. I'll never forgive you, but I'm happy for you as your friend. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Sounded like you did. Thanks for coming on, man. We'll talk again. Absolutely, Ben. Take care. That was David Brand of the Associated Press. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Pharmacy.com. Chinese pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. So you're tuned into Tiger, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm admittedly not a huge golf fan, but I'll be lying if I didn't say I watched, you know, probably, I guess, all day Saturday, and I woke up in time to catch probably the final 12 holes, holes on Sunday. The most important thing to happen for Ole Miss sports this week, and I think we can say, is Austin Crowley committing in basketball. That wasn't a surprise if you've been listening to this podcast or reading my stuff on the Ole Miss Spirit, OleMissSpirit.com, but to see it happen was a big, big move. Rated the number 69 player in the country. Nice. According to 247 <laughs> Sports, a wing, 6566, can handle the ball. A big get for Ole Miss basketball, the first step in the spring. They're going to sign at least two, maybe three. Sean McNeil, a target for Ole Miss this spring, committed to West Virginia over the weekend. So take that name off the board. Now you're paying attention to Christian Keeling, who I think is a long shot. Joey Brunk, a Butler graduate transfer with two years of eligibility remaining, and Kadeem Sy from Daytona State College. Those are the biggest names right now. But Austin Crowley, getting that guy in the boat, it, it, if you looked at the date – of the notes app in which he wrote his commitment. He committed on April 12th. He had that written on April 6th. So this was something that was in the works for quite some time once he was granted his release from Vanderbilt. A big get, though. That's a, that's really good investigative reporting. Thank you. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> no, that is To pay absolutely. attention to 18-year-olds' notes apps 
in their iPhones. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really big get, though. I mean, he's obviously going to play some one or two, uh, you know, back up Brian and Schuler. I, I think we both kind of expect those guys back after, you know, they declared that they test the NBA yes. waters or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a huge get. I think it's probably one of their better uh, recruiting wins in a long time, frankly, probably since Dwight Colby, maybe. Um, That's and, a you great know, know, question. Let's think. I, I, I mean, Buffett or Henson was a four star, right? Yes. Or is he a three? He was, four, but, he was a four for 2020. He was a three for 2019 because he reclassified late. Right. Okay. So it doesn't think, really yeah. diminish what he was, which was a top 100 no. player. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I, I think he's probably one of the better recruiting gets since since Colby, and and he's, he's going to be a guy that Ole Miss counts on uh, counts on a lot next year because they they were not really that deep at the guard position, and and yeah, I mean to to kind of win an in state recruiting battle is kind of nice for that program too. I fully expect Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler to be back. I think Shuler is the better NBA prospect than Tyree because of his size and defensive versatility. Right. The information I expect him to get back is. Hey man, you need to go back to college and work on that offensive game. It developed a lot last year. Developed a, ri- a mid-range game. Got better as far as efficiency is concerned from three. Can really drive it, but you want to see more length on tape, I guess you could say. As in, I want to see you do it more often. I want to see um, if you can put together consistent outings in which you shoot efficiently from three, drive the basket. As your first year playing point guard in college, can you continue to? Uh, not turn the ball over and also efficiently run the offense and all those kinds of things. But as far as Brian is concerned, I mean, his his problem is going to be the defense when teams turn on the tape. And defensively, yeah. towards the end of the year, especially when his offense wasn't working, Brian, he wasn't good. So, yeah, I, I think that Devontae Shula and Brian Tyree will both be back, and it really sets them up for another year in which they'll make a run for the NCAA tournament, assuming that they get at least one of these two graduate transfer bigs or juco big in Kadeem size case and finish this thing off and they could add three but i expect it just to be two for now they want to give franco miller every opportunity to get healthy and franco miller's a big part of this they carved out the minutes that ultimately went to dc davis for franco miller so you want to see franco miller be able to play and i think we forget about the talent that he was and how highly thought of Franco Miller was. The injury just kept him off the floor all year. He arrived with a pre-existing knee injury. If you can get him back healthy, he's a huge piece. Now, that's no sure thing. He got he recently had a third opinion on his knee, and the news was not encouraging. So June, maybe, when they can reevaluate him, ultimately you're going to have to make a decision if he can't get healthy, whether or not you can keep him on the roster. And the obvious answer there would be no, but it's a little more complicated than that because they love the family, they love the kid, they love the talent, and they also love the Bahamas connection. And there are a couple of big-time 2020 Bahamas recruits that they're in on. Ole Miss right now, I was told, is effectively like Oklahoma in the Bahamas right now as far <laughs> as being highly thought of as a landing spot for Bohemian prospects. So Sammy Hunter, Bohemian prospect, yeah. on and on down the line. I want to keep that pipeline going. And they want Franco Miller to play because they believe in him. So interesting to watch will be Ole Miss basketball as well, it constructs its roster for next year. Kadeem side, you know, with, with them reinstating, I think it's probably fair to say it's Ole Miss LSU for him. How, what what does Re, Will Wade's uh, reinstatement kind of do for that, changes for that things. aspect? Changes does things. It? it does. He went to Pittsburgh for an official visit this weekend. Pittsburgh is going to be a major player in this. He's expected to visit Ole Miss April 24th through the 26th. But before the stuff with Will Wade happened – it was Ole Miss LSU. Then LSU fell behind. Will Wade's gone. Now he's back. That's going to change things. How much? Yeah. I don't know. But they got to land at least one of those two because otherwise, yeah. Whew. I mean, there's some You're other targets that, that are out there, but 
those are the guys that make a difference. Yeah. And, and yeah, you, you, you want to get both, I'm sure. Uh, but one is kind of imperative at this point between Bronk and, and Cy. And I feel like they'll get one, you know, which one's kind of maybe a little bit of a guessing game, but I, I don't feel like the odds of them striking out on both are high. I know for Ole Miss fans, Sunday wasn't the best day because Ole Miss lost two games in baseball. But for me personally, Braves beat DeGrom. Yeah. Tiger won the Masters. Game of Thrones returned. Barry season two, episode three. It's a good day. Very TV field day, but it's a good day. We're uh, we're both major league guys. Do you believe in the ball being juice thing? Because no. I, I, something's up, man, because Nola's not good right now. DeGrom's not good right now. There's a lot of good pitchers that aren't good right now. Yeah, I just think that's the difference in offensive philosophy for teams. Okay. It's about launch angle. It's about three outcomes. It's a home run, a strikeout, or a walk. And that's why you're <laughs> seeing an uptick in strikeouts and less contact and a lot more home runs. I think that's why. And that's why you're seeing pitchers pitch more up in the zone to combat launch angle approach. And yeah. it's hard to locate up in the zone efficiently and effectively. It's hard to locate up in the zone. So Jacob deGrom, his entire repertoire, which is the best in baseball, is predicated on pitching down. Now he's pitching more up. It's hard to locate. And you can make mistakes more frequently. And what happens when you make mistakes to the best players in the world? They hit a long ways. Yeah, they hit a long (laughs) way. I'm not worried about it. Now, it is true that Jacob deGrom is not having the start to his season that he most certainly had last year. Gave up seven home runs in 134 innings. He's already given up seven home runs in three starts, four starts. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not pretty right now for DeGrom. I don't dismiss the possibility of the balls being juiced. I would just be surprised by that. We've always had these moments in baseball or in sports in general where there's a dramatic shift and we start to question or throw conspiracy theories on top of it to say, oh, this is happening or this is They've lowered the mound. They've juiced the balls. They're corking their bats. (laughs) Sometimes the hitter's just better than you. And the information they have is more advanced than yours, but the adjustment is going to be made. The course course correction is going to be made. And then Jacob DeGrom's going to be Jacob DeGrom again. <laughs> now, enough. Chris Sale, there's, there's true worry about Chris Sale right now. Yeah, the velo's down. Yeah, the velo's down. Jacob well, DeGrom's you know, fine. The Red Sox, if the real Red Sox right now, I know it's April, but man, you can lose a pennant in, or you can lose a division in May, you know, and, and they're not, they're getting beat by the Orioles as we record this right now again. Yeah. Rio Ruiz, a 4A Braves prospect who never did anything is betting fifth for the Orioles and they're beating you. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, at some point in the, the Rays got a chance to build a real lead in that division. Rays are far and away the best team in that division. The best put together team. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Talent-wise, not. But yes, absolutely. Their pitching is the best in baseball. It's absurd, man. Kevin Cash is the best manager in baseball, too. Oh, no no love for Brian Snicker. That's a joke. (laughs) A joke. That's a joke. uh, Hey, was was the MLB coach of the year last year? Yeah, manager of the year in the NL. What are you most watching out for this week in Ole Miss sports? Uh, I mean, is, is there really anything besides Auburn? I mean, I don't fi- figure we expect recruiting news basketball-wise this week. Not this week. Uh, probably Yes. Not, I mean, it's Now, just... the spring signing period starts on Wednesday, right. April 17th, and Austin Crowley will sign. But other than that, it's really just baseball and softball at this point. Yeah, and, and I guess softball has got a real chance to win the SEC, which is an absolutely crazy story for considering where they were five years ago. Yes, 
But I would agree that Auburn baseball, that's a big series now, made more oh, important man. by losing to Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, it's a series that almost they lose is that than series. Auburn. Are you going to panic? No. If they don't win one of the next two, I would panic. That, that's when I'd probably hit the panic button. I think they've got to be 12 and 9 after 21. All right. Okay. All is not well, but it's not the Titanic sinking is what you're saying. No, no, you're not hitting the panic button yet, but you're also, you know, you got, you got like, if there's a cover over the panic button, you've lifted it up. Took Ryan Olenek a little less time to hit the wall this year. Yeah. Literally and figuratively, huh? Yeah. That was a bad choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, uh, I, I hope he's okay. Cause that looked really, really bad on y- yesterday. It did. It did. I, I didn't mean it the way it came out, but I was speaking more <laughs> offensively. It has been a struggle for him recently. Yeah, I don't know what the SEC numbers are. I guess I can look at them, but it's they're not pretty after uh, kind of starting out well. Let's see. Olenek is hitting 268 in SEC play with a 654 OPS. Yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of a struggle. Almost as a team, though, in SEC play is weird. They've got an 816 OPS as a team. Hogg has been a little unlucky. Yeah, very unlucky. Um, and I'm going to write about this here in a little bit. But he's got a 5.87 ERA. He's got a 1.1. This is SEC numbers. Uh, 1.11 whip, 12 strikeouts per nine. His FIP is 3.13. And opponents have a 6.19 OPS against. And somehow this man has a 5.87 ERA. That's bad defense behind you. <laughs> yeah. Those Azalea bushes on the corners, man. I guess so, because – it uh, it's not been. I mean, it's been rather unlucky for Mister Hogland, to be sure. When you have such a drastic disparity in your ERA and FIP, you're having bad luck. That's what yeah. That is. He had a career high eight strikeouts on Sunday. Let's not act in like he three, didn't pitch pretty in well. Four innings. Yeah, in four innings, and he was bitten by one pitch. That's freshman. That's freshman. Yeah. But I believe in the talent. I say that every yeah. single time you and I talk. I believe in talent. Talent it's time wins to out. It's time to stop being to be announced on Sunday, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. it's hot. He's going to throw on Sunday. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. Our thanks to David Brandt of the Associated Press at David Brandt AP. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. You can also check us out on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. It's soon to be back on Rebel Sports Radio and go to the Old Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate 247 Sports. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. Absolutely, bud. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.